This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Maine First District Representative Shelley Pingree. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta and their well-being portal. Syngenta believes we are all stronger together. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Congresswoman Shelley Pingree next. During this unprecedented time, Syngenta offers resources to protect more than crops. Syngenta's well-being portal connects people with ways to stay healthy and active, manage stress, and enjoy more of life. To access the portal, click the link in AgriPulse. Syngenta believes we're all stronger together. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. As a member of the House Committees on Appropriations and Agriculture, Maine U.S. Representative Shelley Pingree says Washington leadership had no choice but to respond to the immense challenge facing the nation from the COVID-19 pandemic. And while she supports the concept of some of the relief efforts from the Department of Agriculture, she says they haven't worked for her constituents. I'd have to say our state is a little bit disappointed. The Secretary of Agriculture proposed an idea of aggregating food boxes and distributing them around the country. And I support his creativity. I really think it's always good to try to think out of the box about systems that you know may need a change. But the way it worked out for us here in Maine, no distributor was chosen in our state to aggregate these food boxes, which means that basically no farmers in our state are are providing any of the food to go into the boxes, and actually none of our food banks were chosen to receive the boxes. So um, unfortunately, kind of on all fronts, uh, we have been frustrated by it. And, you know, I think I think designing a new system, I you know, I give a little latitude for, well, it takes a while to figure out a new way to go about doing it, but I think where everything has gone wrong in our state, it, it's just, it's not working for us. And I think... Our food banks, who do a considerable amount of distribution, had really hoped that we would be able to provide them with funding so that they could work with the farmers that they've got long-term relationships with and put the boxes together and distribute them in that way. But anyway, it, it just really hasn't worked for us. And I don't think Maine is the only state that is suffering from these problems. We are hoping that the secretary kind of reconsiders on some of the remaining funding because I don't believe it was ever intended to leave states out. You serve on two very important committees in the House with regard to the industry of agriculture and the food supply chain on appropriations and on agriculture. So this question comes as an appropriator. How do you balance the need to support the people and the economy with the growing national debt? It seems we're darned if we do and darned if we don't. Yeah, I mean, it's just a nightmare. Let's face it, it is a nightmare. We already had growing debt prior to the pandemic hitting. You know, now the the level of spending that Congress has had to engage in is, is unprecedented. I mean, when we started passing the first couple of bills, my head was spinning. I thought, you know, never, never in my time as a legislator have I seen something move so quickly, spending so much money. And the challenge is, I think, you know, whatever side of the aisle you're on, you can see that the need is still there. The need is great. And And we all listen to a lot of economists, and I think one thing that we've been told over and over is, as painful as it is, we have to continue to pump money into the economy until we can stabilize it again if we don't want to see our nation go into a severe depression. And, you know, the only good news is at least interest rates are low, and, you know, we're we're at a better time for that. But I, I don't think anyone is comfortable with the level of spending 
but I'm quite convinced there there isn't another way out of this. And I think one of the things that makes it so difficult, I mean, I'm really honored to be on the Ag Committee and Ag Approps and, and work on these issues, but you can turn your head in any direction and see struggling retail, struggling, um, of course, in our state, the fisheries are struggling. You know, the airlines are going to be struggling, the hotel industry. I mean, you just turn around our, our manufacturing industry. We're, we're hit on every front. And so uh, even putting together these spending packages are so complicated because if you leave some big sector of the economy out, you know, like take the airline industry, like how do they survive without government assistance right now? And we don't want to we don't want to lose the infrastructure that is our airline industry, because, you know, let's let's hope that we're back up and running at some point in the near future. We got to have all those, you know, planes still in inventory that can start picking up the passengers again. So I, I don't know. You know, I am not an economist, but we certainly listen to a lot of them. And, uh, you know, you just can't say to farmers these days, like, well, you know, good luck. See, see how you can patch it together. We, we can't afford to lose all these farms. We're, we're already losing them at too fast of a rate. I spoke with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who suggests a much more pragmatic approach to any new support legislation. One of his words he said was, we've borrowed enough. Uh, with regard to the HEROES Act that is pretty liberal in spending again, how do we move ahead with another assistance package? And, and again, in that same vein, what can we spend? You know, the beauty of Congress, you know, when we work, when we, when we can come together, and I think we have on these earlier packages, is we, we represent a broad range of issues. You've got, you know, Lear McConnell who says, no, we spend enough, let's, let's just shut it down here or let's slow it down. And then you've got, you know, members of my party in the House are like, let's turn this into a, you know, government support for everything. And we do have to meet in the middle. And I think it, at this point, it's, it doesn't matter what party you're in. You, you go home and, for instance, one of the biggest components, almost a trillion dollars in the uh, HEROES Act is for state and local governments. I mean, everybody's got, you know, everybody's got to go home. And uh, we have states that are looking into the future with, you know, their loss of income tax revenue, sales tax revenue, excise tax, gas tax. I mean, it's all down. And if we want them to be able to continue and provide all the vital services that they provide, we're going to have to provide some level of support. Now, the HEROES Act has about a trillion dollars. There's a a bipartisan bill in the Senate that's $500 billion. It's all a lot of money. And I think we have a recognized need that we have to do something for states and municipalities that are going to have huge revenue shortfalls. And we have to meet in the middle. The, the goal of the HEROES Act, in a way, wasn't necessarily to say, great, we'll whip up a bill, it'll you know move to the House, and then the Senate will just give us their, <laughs> their vote and we'll be done. It was more to say, look, we're all hearing about so much need out in the country. Can we put it in one document and then start to debate over where we see the priorities. Um, you know, there are members, um, I've heard Leader McConnell say, well, we spend a lot of money, why don't we sit back and wait? And on some things, we probably can sit back and say, you know, was that an effective way to do it? You know, have we done enough? Maybe we can just hold off for a bit. On other things, uh, you take agriculture, in some areas, if we don't help certain farmers, they're going to be out of business. And if we lose, you know, 20%, a third of our farms, at the end of this, I just think it's going to be a huge loss in our country. It's going to mean a lot more consolidation to big farms, 
And it's not going to be the kind of agriculture that we want going into the future. And it is very hard once you've lost a farm to start it up again. You know, that, that farmer who's been hanging on with a shoestring for the last six or seven years, once they're gone, there, there isn't an easy way to replace that. So some of these things, are, they're really tough decisions, but I don't think we can, you know, just pack up the tent and say, like, call us in October, let us know how it all went. How about liability protection? How tough of an issue is that going to be to, to negotiate between the parties or the chambers? You know, it's a really good question. Um, to tell you the truth, I, was, I, I appreciated that I heard the um, speaker say on one of our caucus calls, there will be no lines in the sand for the House. We're willing to negotiate everything. And I know that's going to be, I mean, that's already been portrayed as a make or break issue for the Senate. I just was on a call with small business owners in my state, and for many of them, they're saying, you know, is there a way, if there's a reasonable set of standards, and we meet them all, that we don't have to face multiple lawsuits if people are affected with the COVID-19 and, and attempt to say they, they caught it from walking into our establishment. I mean, again, I'm not even a lawyer here, so I don't know exactly how the, the details of this would work, but I think there will be some middle ground. Now, I don't think you can just say, I've, I've decided to keep my facility open, whatever it is, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to offer any protection for my workers. I'm not going to change any of the situations. We're not going to do deep clean. We're not going to do any of these things. And too bad if you get sick. Um, we all now know that workplaces can be, um, you know, little petri dishes of this disease, and mm-hmm. we can't, we can't expect people to keep going back to work in places that aren't safe. We can't ask people in the public to keep coming into our establishments retail, restaurants, anything else, if they don't have some level of anticipation that it's going to be safe. So if you took all liability away from the business community, you're sort of setting yourself up for uh, distrust and suspicion. But I think there would be a way to do it, and I would not want to see that, you know, block everything. House Ag Chairman Colin Peterson is not opposed to spending additional funds by statements that he's made. But he also suggested that if additional funds are going to be sent toward agriculture, that perhaps the agriculture committees and the Congress should have a say in how those dollars are distributed. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I was in a committee hearing um, where Chairman Peterson said that, and honestly, it was music to my ears. We've had a very limited committee schedule this year, mostly just working through the subcommittees, not done a lot of comprehensive evaluation of, uh, you know, programs at the USDA or, or the system. And I, um, I really appreciated him being able to stand back and say, you know, there is something going wrong here with our system. Um, you know, he was talking about, obviously, he's in a district where a lot of, um, you know, hogs have had to be slaughtered and buried and destroyed because they didn't have the capacity in the slaughterhouses. And, you know, I, I feel for him. You watch that every day or you see your farmers going through that and suddenly you're starting to say, you know, what's wrong with this picture? We got lines at the food banks and we're destroying food. Um, and I think, I think he does feel like, uh, it's time for Congress to step up to, to better understand how the system works, to have more of a say in the distribution of this money. And, you know, uh, that's an easy sell for me. I, I would love to see our committee do some real, Hard work. It's a wonderful committee. We come from, you know, such diverse parts of the country. We represent all political views, but there's a lot of common ground about um, protecting our farmers, about not having, you know, too much bureaucracy of getting food to hungry people. I, I think there would be a lot of common ground, and I think it would really serve us well at this moment in time to stand back and say, um, you know, this food system did not serve us well. Uh, the supply chain, you know, 
it falls apart if you can't if you have a shutdown in the slaughterhouses or, you know, suddenly restaurants aren't buying the food that you were intended for restaurants, so the things that are packaged in that side, you got to throw them away or you can't get them to consumers. So, no, I, I was thrilled. I I, uh, I really appreciate Colin stepping up and saying that's a good idea. So I can't wait. Here's a question that's not easy. Uh, because of farm productivity, because of issues with global trade and demand, because of the COVID crisis that's affected the renewable fuel industry, that's affected the livestock industry, uh, we're looking at commodity prices for the major commodity groups that are red ink. We've spent a lot of money to support the industry and to prop it up. And the question is, if you move ahead to 2021 and things aren't different, what do you do then? Is this farm bill, are we seeing weaknesses in the farm bill or how long can Washington continue to sustain and support this industry? Well, I mean, I think that's why Chairman Peterson's remarks were so critically important. You have to look at this crisis and say, we've got some fundamental problems here, whether it's consolidation in the industry or our commodity system, our support system for commodities, you know, whatever it is, we all look at it sort of from a different perspective. Um, we, we've got to look at the fundamentals here. We, we can't just keep we just can't keep pouring money into farmers' pockets during every crisis. I mean, let's face it, we put a lot of money into agriculture because of our trade problems, and we'd already run the bank dry by the time this hit. You know, then suddenly we're saying like, oh, this is another reason we have to pour money into people's pockets. And I, and I'm a big believer that we can't just leave people out there hanging, but we have to stand back and say, you know, have we set ourselves up for this kind of failure? Um, you know, is it, is it about overproduction? Do we have to look at the dairy industry differently? Is it about being so dependent on exports when we might have a complete falling out with, uh, with, with China when we're so dependent on selling to them? I'm not an ag economist, but I I would love to just spend hours listening to one, talking to our committee and saying, you know, here's some fundamental weaknesses and, and what are we going to do about it? Because I agree, we can't just, you know, every year say like, oh, well, we'll just send you some money and it's a little Band-Aid on the problem and then find out that the next year it's still a problem. In the 18th Farm Bill, you promoted a liaison at the Department of Agriculture to work on the food waste issue in the country. What's the report there? I think we got the funding for it, but it's not a fully functioning person. There was actually um, someone in the Department of Agriculture, I think back in the Clinton administration, that just worked on food waste. And again, it's another interesting topic. When I first heard about the problems with food waste in this country, I mean, people people suggest we waste about a third of the food in this country, and this is even before the pandemic and the and the you know falling apart of our food system. That that's a wake up call. We're losing it in the field. We're losing it, you know, in in uh, you know in restaurants and how people buy at home. Again, I think we're we have a little different lens right now because of this, but you know everybody kind of understands we shouldn't be wasting food. Your grandmother told you not to waste food, and you realize the economic impact on it, the fact that you know we're using up our water supply growing this food, and some of it's not getting to hungry people. And again, there's there's a lot more interest in it now because now people are seeing wholesale um, loss of food. You know, farmers in Florida plowing under acres of you know onions carrots, you know, all kinds of things, bell peppers, everything else. So I think we're going to come out of this with a lot more interest, and we're certainly going to, you know, pay attention during the appropriations process this year. But also, I see a lot of these as issues that will will really be tackled now for the next farm bill. And that's our best chance to kind of, you know, look at this system and say, here's the farm bill, it covers everything we've got here. 
and where does food waste put, fit in? And where do, where do our problems with our supply chain cause even more waste? Your chamber has a committee that is looking at climate change. And some see agriculture as a part of the problem, and some see agriculture as a part of the solution by being able to sequester carbon and, and certainly to give new emphasis to the soil. Where would you point to agriculture in the challenge of climate debate? Well, this is actually my favorite topic, although I would say it's been kind of pushed aside with everything else that we're all challenged by right now. But I did work for more than a year on a piece of legislation on climate change, the Agricultural Resilience Act, and I had meetings with tens of, I don't know, a hundred different groups from, you know, conventional ag, um, you know, big ag, small ag, environmentalists, everything. And, and one thing I was really disturbed by, you know, say a year ago, was this sense uh, that people had, you know, understanding that there's some issues around climate change and then putting it in very simplistic terms and just saying like, okay, here's how we fix it. We plant a tree and you stop eating meat. And I'm just appalled by that idea that that's all we need to do. We have really looked in our bill about ways to help people understand better the important role of sequestering carbon in the soil, that it's possible in a fully functioning system you could sequester more carbon in the soil than you do in trees. You know, while we're not talking about that today, we overall understand that there's too much carbon in our atmosphere. We're looking at all different kinds of ways to take some of it out. And I come from the most forested state in the nation, so I'm thrilled to have people talking about trees sequestering carbon, but I don't want to hear people talking about, um, you know, taking highly productive farmland and, and planting trees and not understanding that farmers can be great partners in this, that, you know, there, there's too much talk about farmers being the villains. And yes, agriculture can be a contributor to the problems with creating carbon, but we also have the opportunity to help farmers to do more to sequester carbon. And the great thing is, you know, we have a lot of conservation programs that already encourage this. We have, um, you know, people out there in the field who have been helping farmers to do more no-till cover crops. You know, th th this has been moving in this direction. And I think if we prioritize more of our programs to incentivize farmers to do that, if there's more technical support for them to do that, I think that they're going to I mean, we were on a pathway where a lot of the major companies that are buying um, were looking for farmers who were using, you know, good environmental techniques, able to say they were sequestering carbon in the soil. And those companies are saying, well, this is the product we want to buy. This is the corn. This is the soybeans because we want to put a label on our product or tell our consumers we're using the best possible tactics here. We, we also think that farmers should have the opportunity to participate in carbon markets. And, you know, that's a much more sophisticated conversation. But we've talked to Secretary Purdue and others. Right now, there are a lot of people in the forestry industry who are able to benefit from using the growth of trees as a as an offset and um, and get paid for that. And I think you know, look, a farmer can use every penny they can make out there, and why shouldn't they be a part of these markets? It does require having more sophisticated system to measure how much carbon that you're capturing, but there are people in private industry, there are university researchers, there's work being done at the USDA. You know, we just have to come together on some standards. And all those things we put into this legislation, because in the end, we just want to say, hey, farmers can be great partners in this. They can be our future heroes. And they're the ones who are also suffering many times from the, the downside of climate change, the extreme weather, the flooding, the, you know, the wildfires, the drought. You know, they're the ones who feel the impact quite a bit. And why not say, hey, let's make you our partners and let's see how, how you can benefit financially from doing the right thing. 
Congresswoman Pingree, what a joy to have had this uh, exhaustive conversation <laughs> on the industry of agriculture. Thank you so much for your time. This is Open Mic, and an Open Mic, you get the last word today. Oh, well, thank you. Well, first off, thank you so much. I really, you know, as you can see, I'm, uh, I'm passionate about these issues, and I may not always be right, but I just love to think about them and talk about them, and I, I can't tell you how lucky I am to be a member of Congress and get the opportunity to work on these things. And I guess if I would just say in closing, um, you know, there are those moments in time when there are real opportunities to, to rethink a system, to make substantive change, and to do it in a way that, you know, brings, brings kind of everybody together around an issue. And um, I hope that Congress tackles this as we move forward. Um, this, this pandemic in particular has really shown us that we have such a bifurcated um, food system. You know, some food goes to consumers and some goes into the food service industry. And when you have a complete collapse of the food service industry when you're shutting down your schools and, you know, your hospitals are under capacity, your restaurants are closed down, all of a sudden, you know, there is food with nowhere to go and then people who are hungry because they can't get what they need. And it, it just provides us with that moment in time to say, okay, we got to dig in here. Our country has been challenged in a lot of ways and um, that is now laid bare and we got to look at all of our problems. You know, what, what have we done to farmers with our trade policy? You know, what what's happened... You know, to farmers who are suffering with low commodity prices or overproduction. Uh, anyway, it, it's a great moment in time. I consider myself incredibly lucky uh, to be able to be part of this dialogue. And um, and I know that I'm going to have a lot of colleagues from all persuasions from all around the country who want to talk about the same thing. So here's hoping we can make some real changes and move forward. Our thanks to Maine 1st District Representative Shelley Pingree, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta and their well-being portal. We're all stronger together. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.